0: Welcome to Two Guys, a podcast about ballet hosted by Ballet Dancers. My name is Keelan, and this week we have on the show Joseph Gotti, aka Joey Gotti, not Joe Gotti, the Canadian boxer, or John Gotti, <laughs> the criminal, allegedly. You might know Joseph from lighting up your social media, your YouTubes, watching him do more pirouettes in more consecutive positions than you can possibly count. So first off, Joseph, welcome to the show. How you doing?
1: Good. Very good. Happy we have time for this. This is great.
0: Is it a nice day in Florida today? Good weather?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's actually pretty cool, which is nice, you know, in the 50s, 50s today.
0: So I'm sure I'm sure you've got a rainstorm coming whenever I'm in Florida. There's a rainstorm every single day. Yeah, of course. (laughs) So for the people who might not know who you are or exactly what you've done and where you've been, uh, you're born in upstate New York, moved to Orlando at 10 years old. Started dancing with Orlando Ballet Theater as an apprentice as a teenager, right? Were you like fourteen when you started working with the company? I was seventeen. Seventeen, 17. when okay. I became
1: an apprentice under the direction of Fernando Bojones Yeah. Before he passed. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're gonna come back to that because I've got some Bojones questions. Yeah. You started winning a bunch of competitions, and we can go into that. You've, I'm sure you've got medals on medals in your house or somewhere. <laughs> uh, you went to. Royal Ballet School for a year. You were uh, awarded the Dame Ruth Railton Award for Excellence in Dance. So that's very high pedigree right there. ABT Studio Company for a year, joined Cincinnati Ballet as a soloist, went on to dance at Boston Ballet as a soloist.
1: Corella Ballet before that. Um, so it was
0: Corella and then Boston.
1: And then Boston, yes.
0: And then Boston. And then back to Orlando Ballet as a principal guest.
1: As a principal guest for one year. For
0: yeah. One year. And we actually overlapped then. And I have no expectation that you would remember that, but I took one class with Orlando Ballet when um, my company, Ballet Organ, we were touring in St. Augustine. We, a couple of my friends decided we would stick around after the tour because you're in Florida, you might as well stick around for a couple of days. And I was like, guys, we're in Orlando, like we should go take class. And because they didn't care so much, they were like, no, no, we want to go to Universal Studios. And I was like, guys, we have to go (laughs) take class joseph Gotti's there like we have to go take class so i took one class had a great time you were rehabbing from the foot injury oh wow you had those beautiful studios with like all glass windows and the pond out back it's glorious oh wow and so you started ubt united ballet theater in 2018 and Mm -hmm. united ballet theater academy in february yes we're going to get into all of that but first thing i want to talk about so we had osiel a couple weeks ago come on the show I know that you guys are friends um, yeah I talked to him about what it's like when he sees young dancers emulating steps that he's created like with OCL he's got the many pirouettes into the back bend to the knee yeah people are starting to copy that right and it's, it's a beautiful step yeah you have this one that's almost ubiquitous now where it's Alicecon into arabesque, into attitude, into passe, into arabesque, and then plie on one leg, double tour of the knee. I'm seeing that, like, people are doing that all over the place now. And I'm pretty sure you're the first one to do it. Is that right? I mean, I never saw
1: that before. The first time was actually in the New York International Ballet Competition. Okay. And it's funny because that competition, Jose Manuel Correño won like way back. So I was really excited to be a part of this. This was 2000. And- 2005, I believe.
0: And that's when you were invited to Cincinnati after that. Yes. And Victoria
1: Morgan saw that. She was, uh, I don't know if she was one of the judges or just watching, but she was the director of Cincinnati Valley. But that competition, they tell you what to bring. So you don't know what you're going to be doing. They just tell you, bring white tights, bring this, bring oh. a top that looks like this. So you're like, oh, okay. and I did it with Isabel Boylston. We, okay. we were partners because we were both an Navy studio company at the time. So the competition, when you get there, everyone has to kind of do the same choreography wise. But you know, I mean, I didn't change it, but I was on balance and I said, you know, what would be more powerful than finishing on balance and something when the arms open and the legs open and you're lifting the head up. So I decided to do an arabesque after the turns in the coda. It was satanella.
0: Right.
1: And the reaction was 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 great. It made me feel so good, you know. And that was the first time I did it. And then I, I tried to continue that and consistency and, and adding new things. So yeah, I mean, I think 2005 was the first time I did that and I, I've never seen that anywhere else. So I was, yeah. it was exciting to do that, you know?
0: It's taken the world a little while to catch up to you, but now you're starting <laughs> to see people are putting it into their repertoire.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: What does it feel like to be a part of the ballet tradition now, knowing that anytime somebody does that step, it originated with you. It's, it's an incredible
1: feeling. You know, I, when I watch that on videos and stuff and I see people, especially when people actually acknowledge you, that really makes, it makes it really warm and and understanding like they did their research, you know, and they, they've been inspired by something that you're doing correct. So I, I love that, you know, and I, I've always mentioned to young ones, if they ever write me or anything, I said, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you can do all you want in the studios. The key is being able to execute that on stage, you know, and having having some type of opportunity to do it on stage when it when it counts, yeah, you know. And it starts obviously in the studio. So seeing that and people practicing that is is exciting. I love that. I love that.
0: It's really a remarkable sequence that you in, invented there, that you patented. You've <laughs> already you've got the Gotti method. If we could have the Gotti pirouette yeah. as well, you could get oh a whole. God. A whole library of just gaudy (laughs) items. So you started UBT in 2018. Mm -hmm. From what I understand, from what I've read, it was birthed out of an injury that you had that was quite a serious injury Mm -hmm. and realizing you didn't feel that the ballet world in general took good enough care or was providing the right kind of training for dancers to get healthy and stay healthy. And you wanted to do something about that. And so you took the very courageous choice of I'm going to start my own company and we're going to do things a bit differently. Is that right?
1: That's, that's pretty much right. I mean, it took many years for me to realize this and I've always been intrigued by the company life, you know, and the company cycle and schools too, and academies. Um, I would interview so many dancers wherever I was traveling. I have footage of Jeffrey Serio, Daniel Olbrich from New York City Ballet, people in Boston Ballet. I was just always intrigued and asking them questions in terms of injuries and how do they feel? What's the pressure in ballet companies and, and what's missing? So I was always intrigued by that. But I think when I really realized the vicious cycle, having that experience of not only being in companies, but being on your own. I mean, I've been freelancing for over 10 years now. So I think that mix and finding out what was missing because I was continuing dancing as a freelance artist and still to this day, even with everything going on, um, is when I really realized why is this missing if this has been so beneficial for me and maybe it's beneficial for others too because then at the end of the day, you know we're artists, but we're athletes as well and you rarely hear anything like that. And I think slowly people realize that and they say the word, yeah, we're athletes, but are you actually training? like an athlete as well and caring for your bodies as an athlete. So companies and schools are starting to say that, but I don't think they're really implementing that. And so I wanted to make that clear with United Valley Theater and give, give dancers an opportunity to dance into their 30s, into their 40s, healthy, yeah. executing the steps that they did in their 20s or even better. That's inspiring, that, that's what I feel is inspiring.
0: I think there's two parallel tracks here. So there's the staying healthy, right? So it's either preventative, yeah. which is great, or it's once somebody is injured, getting them back in shape, getting them back healthy on stage as soon as possible in a really smart, comprehensive mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. So that's track one. And I think that's the part that companies kind of max out at is maybe they'll think, oh yeah, okay, let's get an in-house physio, or let's have some Pilates equipment so that you know we can prevent injuries, all that. There's the step further, which is what if we approach this the way that Teams do, like uh, soccer teams, the Premier League, yeah, uh, NBA course. teams, it, hockey teams, act, yeah. Any organization that's success is founded on the health of its athletes and the performance of its athletes. All of these teams have trainers, have equipment, have sports scientists working with them, and I understand they have a higher budget because you know course, ticket yeah. sales and sponsorship, all that. But the point is if we want to be dancing into our late years and having a healthy company full of a strong corps de ballet who isn't constantly getting injured when they're changing rep, why don't we mimic what the teams are doing, right? Those teams have a lot at stake here because they are billion dollar franchises. Shouldn't we be trying to do everything they're doing? So when I see what you're doing and I see the videos of your dancers practicing on things like the Vertimax, I just think this is so obvious.
1: I couldn't agree with you more, man, really. And really quick, going back to what you said, like the physio and the companies and things like that that they bring in, what I realize is that a lot of these big companies, especially big companies, have really wonderful facilities, you know? But it's really funny because majority of the time when I see a dancer in there is only when they're rehabbing from injury. You, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not other than that. There's nothing else. So they're either in rehearsals, or they're in that beautiful facility that they have of, you know, bikes and and ellipticals and and Pilates reformers, they're in there when they're rehabilitating from an injury. Why is that? Why can't that be used in a more balanced schedule for the dancers? Because at the end of the day, I've tried, I've tried the other way, you know, I've tried rehearsing, you know, six to eight hour days. And my mentality was, oh, I'm going to go to the gym after no matter what. I imploded. That didn't work. I, I got beat up. There just wasn't a balance, no matter what, because of the cycle. You know? And then at the end of the day, you know, if a principal dancer, if you're done three hours after rehearsal, you, know, you might have a huge family and a life, so you're not going to go to the gym. So I'm trying to fix that with UBT and try to enlighten people in terms of what's important and what needs to be implemented in ballet companies for these dancers. And these dancers are loving it. They're, they're really understanding it.
0: I think what you're doing beyond just introducing different types of training is you're reframing the approach to a ballet schedule. You're you're kind of redefining what that looks like, right? And so there's a lot of inertia built up in the ballet method and the way that we just do things, right? You do class in the morning, you rehearse for six hours, you go home, mm-hmm. that's it. And there's this story of, <laughs> but we're all perpetually understaffed and we're behind and there's too many ballets and not enough dancers, and not enough studio space. Exactly. So we're always exactly. just trying to keep up, keep up. How could we possibly cut out rehearsal time?
1: So I've had people um, even other directors bring that up saying that they not only want to hire talented dancers, but hire dancers who learn quickly Terms of choreography, right?
0: Yeah.
1: So at the same time, I've heard so many dancers complain, including myself, we are so over rehearsed. Like I'm so ready to go on and do this show. We've been doing this ballet for three months. Like I am beat up. And to me, at the end of the day, some of that passion you had early on is diminished and gone when you hit the performance. So what I'm trying to say is that I do believe that there is room. And these directors aren't implementing what they're preaching, what they're actually saying in terms of let them use their brains and trust in them a little bit more. Give them the choreography. You don't have to over-rehearse them. And you you can definitely find time. We have two studios in, in a fitness area, you know, and it's my job. If we continue to grow, I'm going to need to get more studios. I'm going to need to get more ballet masters. I'm going to need to get more to be able to incorporate all of that and still keep the foundation and core of this vision that i have with a balanced schedule for the dancers but it's your job as director but i've heard that so many times from directors and it's not being utilized enough so i don't know i mean there's 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 definitely different options but there is time there is time i believe i truly believe
0: the biggest imposition on a schedule is having to replace a dancer replace a bunch of dancers this creates chaos for everybody i think it's a domino effect exactly the more people are in shape and the more confident they feel in their own bodies, in their abilities, the faster, more efficiently they'll work. And the less time will be that will be wasted on the on the fringes, right? If everybody's in really good shape and really like cardiovascularly, they're really, really solid, then you don't have to worry about, oh, can we get through the ballet? Can we get through it? Of course you can, because yeah. we've been doing sprint training and you know, plyometrics, and we know that we're fine and everybody's healthy because we've been addressing everybody's individual needs. So we've got a healthy company that's in really good shape. And we've learned this about school. Studies have been done that show that you can't actually have somebody sit in a room and just learn math for three hours and keep fresh. You you run out at some point of brain power, but they can do something different. And so if you've got a dedicated chunk of rehearsal time and then a break, and then you come in and you don't have to learn rap you're just training your body and you have somebody who knows exactly what you need and it's specialized for what you need, then you're so much more efficient. You're using the same amount of time way more efficiently. So I'm hundred percent on board and I'll even come out and say, I think 10 to 20 years, I think this is going to become the norm. I would want to say 10 years, but ballet has a lot of old history, a lot of old people who might not want to shift, but I'm telling you, This is the direction things are moving. And I think it's Mm -hmm. obvious that things are moving this way because you look at all of the organizations that rely on their athletes being healthy. This is what they're doing. So once ballet companies realize this is necessary, we just need to raise a bit more money so we can get a couple more machines, get one person in here who is a trainer, who's qualified for this. I think it's going to revolutionize the art form
1: i couldn't agree with you more man you just you said it perfectly really it's just a question of when and and, and how and again you know i've had physical therapists tell me too like have agreed with me on on the stuff that i'm doing and but these companies it's it's worked their cycle has worked for so long and, and and people are afraid to change that because it's worked to a certain point obviously you know apart from the dancers health aspect but business side it's worked but there's a lot more that needs to be worked and that's exactly what we're talking about.
0: Beyond just keeping the dancers healthy, I believe this type of approach is how you get the most out of your dancers. 100%. I think the two biggest things that have benefited me in my career were really good physio and really good coaching. Exactly. Without those two, I would be, you know, too injured to dance and I wouldn't be a very good dancer. Yeah you're approaching both of those things, getting people stronger, getting them individual attention, keeping them healthy, so much respect. And the fact that you started this and you didn't even have a history of being a director is like very impressive. <laughs> I
1: appreciate it and I really thank you.
0: Why don't you walk us through the Gatti method as you have developed it so far? Let us know what that is, because I, I know there's like machines involved, there's specific tools, and there's a schedule that's different. So why don't you walk us through those?
1: So again, I mean, this is so new, but I want to have this copyright. I want to have athletes of art as well, because I feel like it's been very beneficial for the dancers. So again, like you said about athletes trying to find a balance and days where it's not only about rehearsals and doing run-throughs and choreography. So we have two days a week, Gaddy Method days. And those days, we may still have rehearsals, but these dancers are not obligated to do them full out it's more for the head. Um, there's also options for dancers to, if it's the end of the day, they don't need to wear their point shoes. They don't have to, I give them these options tailored to each individual dancer on what their weight is during that day in terms of rehearsal. So those two days of the gaddy method, they focus more on their bodies, like you were saying. So we implement whether it's, a Pilates class, certified Pilates instructor, or we do the VertiMax, I'm certified in the VertiMax. Or we bring in a conditioning, you know, uh, a cross trainer that I've worked with a couple of times who's fantastic. We have a couple of different ones who teach. Sometimes it'll be in person, sometimes through Zoom. So those two days, we incorporate one of those classes for those dancers. Um, at the moment, we have professionals, we have trainees. So sometimes we'll split up those classes so it's not too full. So we focus on actually tailoring to each individual dancer on his or her needs in terms of what they're preparing for in their upcoming performances. So if somebody's weak in jumps, we put them on the Vertimax and we focus on their transition from the plie into the push-off, things like that, strengthening certain areas, whether it's the soleus and the calf muscle or toe strength, making sure that they're improving. I like to call this basically working on dance specific athletic movement. So that's kind of what we focus on when we are doing conditioning on the VertiMax cross training. I'll switch it back and forth. Cross training will be just basically prioritizing athletic movement, which would be, you know, just cardio and and,
0: explosive movements, like high intensity interval training, stuff like that. Exactly.
1: Whether it's burpees or box jumps or strengthening the hamstrings Things like that. So those will be different. That's the difference between, obviously, what some people don't know is, you know, conditioning compared to cross training. Conditioning is more for what your sport is, so to say. So as dancers, it's, I like to call rotational athletes. We're rotational athletes. So we work a lot on rotation, whether we use the vertimax in terms of doing dance specific athletic movements, things like that. And then we'll do another class of, of the vertimax on cross training, like what you said. So it's been really beneficial. So those are the days that I've implemented for the company. And even when choreographers come in, that is something that these choreographers have to be notified. You can't have a choreographer come in and say, okay, we're gonna do run-throughs all week. Yeah. And then dancers are like, well, this is actually protecting the dancers. It's kind of like an agma, but I think it's a little bit more for the dancers, health-wise, you know, not just having a five-minute break between each rehearsal
0: a five minute break where you have to go to another studio and change your shoes. And eat and- <laughs> Exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. So yeah, that that's something that I think uh, is very important and I'm still growing with, but it's been going so well. And there's so many ideas that I have, obviously that I want to incorporate into the Gaddy method on top of the bands. A lot of the dancers use the Gaddy bands, which is something that I wanted to somehow give a more of a challenge in terms of in class at the bar and it really is is fantastic. It's it's been helping me so much in terms of keeping elasticity and and length and flexibility and muscle endurance for the legs while you're at the bar. So that's one thing a lot of the dancers utilize as well in our ballet classes. So it's been really great to see that. Yeah.
0: So when I hear you describe this like I actually feel so excited and like there are a lot of different motivators for people to think about when they're going to join a specific company, right? Mm -hmm. And the priorities might be different for each person, right? So some people want to dance at a big company because they want the prestige right away. Some people want uh, good money. So they want to go to a place that pays well for some people. It's about location. They want to live somewhere warm or beautiful or close to home. Uh, for some people it's the repertoire for some it's, well, I want to dance at a small company because I have a better shot at actually performing leads, like getting stage repetitions, you know? Yeah. And as I've navigated through my career, there have been a lot of like non-negotiables, but you kind of ascend the ladder as the universe provides opportunities, right? So it's like, okay, I end up at this company and I'm getting lots of, lots of performing opportunities and really good coaching, but there isn't a lot of prestige with the name and the money's not great. You go, okay, but that's fine because, well, what's the most important is coaching. Like I need to be a good dancer in order to have any career. So I'll stay and I'm doing leads. So I'm getting lots of experience on stage. So it's worth it to stay. But at some point I know I want to leave. And so I leave to go to a place with more prestige and maybe the coaching isn't as much of a focus, but that's exciting because I get to do more roles and all this. But what I found was I don't want to tell my story too much. It's not so important.
1: No, no, no. I want to hear. Yeah,
0: this is so when I left Ballet, which was a small company, but I got an incredible opportunity to grow and it was like an incubator. I became way better of a dancer than I ever, anybody ever thought I would be because I got really good coaching and I got opportunities. Yeah. every lead role. I would do it on stage 15 times. So I do 15 pas de toises, 15 Siegfrieds in the same season, 15 Nutcracker leads. Where else do you get to do 15 performances of the same lead in the same season? Like you just get better and better and better. Yeah when I went to Estonia, I did 10 different leads in that first season and nobody was really monitoring my health. Like we had a physio, but it wasn't as in-depth as I needed. And my ankles get locked up easily. And I could tell for most of the season, my ankles were really locked. Like I just didn't have the mobility to plie. And so I'd be struggling to do one-footed fondus in the center, but I knew that yeah. I had to rehearse Sleeping Beauty and Swan Lake that day. And so if I I'm struggling to do a simple step in class, but I know I have to run the ballet that day. You know, the the balance is off, right? If you can't do something simple, you probably aren't safely doing the complicated thing. What ended up happening was I developed a stress fracture, which became a full fracture of a sesamoid, so a very small bone in my foot. And to compensate for that, there was a tear in my FHL. So a very large tendon got torn and I had to take off a lot of time. So it was an amazing process. I got to do all of these roles and it was really, really fun and uh, really challenging. But the piece that was missing was the longevity, like the focus that kept me healthy, right? And so when I hear you talk about the way that you're running your company, I think, oh God, like if I were a young person looking for a job now with all of the information I have, I'd be thinking, oh, well, my health is the most important thing. Because if you're not healthy, you're not performing. And if you're not healthy, the company doesn't want to keep you around. So you're not likely Mm -hmm. to even be employed. And so I would be just thrilled. Like if I'm a young person listening to this podcast, I'm adding UBT to my audition list, like immediately, because to go to a place where I know my safety and well being is the priority is what I need to know that I'm going to be able to stay there long-term and have a healthy career.
1: I I couldn't agree with you more, man. And you know, it's funny. It's just, I feel like teachers, they, they need to educate their students a little bit on the importance of health because that's the thing, too. I feel like there's many young ones who they feel invincible or they don't even think of, of that. But when you start thinking of that at an earlier age, and I wish I did, you have a, even a better chance of having the best and longest career. But hopefully w- with UBT, I, I want to provide this knowledge for them before they actually get an injury where they have to be like, oh okay, this is why I should have been doing this or that, you know?
0: Let's talk a little bit about UBT and UBTA. You are the founder, director, teacher, and principal dancer at UBT. That's a lot of hats to wear. Like there must've been a moment where you were sitting at home and you thought like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a company. (laughs) That's a really brave thing. Like that's almost like ludicrous as an idea, you know? Like the fact that it's working is remarkable. That's a testament to you. But what was the moment? What was the the process of deciding that? And, and specifically, like, yeah, what gave you the confidence that you could pull that off?
1: To be honest, I think it. I felt like it formed slowly, which was nice because in the beginning, um, it started out as a summer company. I was freelancing. I had that year as a guest with Orlando Ballet, and they they beat me up and broke me down. To be truthful with you and transparent, I was shocked how they treated the dancers, to be honest, when I went as a guest, I wasn't even, I was a guest and just seeing how I, you know, it doesn't matter. The director's gone there, but I know you met him once, but seeing him, how he treated and worked with the dancers was very unprofessional. It was sad to see, really sad to see, because I've been with a lot of directors and that was the worst. Just seeing that made me passionate. And of course my injuries and stuff and want to start UBT. And so I started my freelancing, you know, trying to book and make things and I would take classes and some people enjoyed my classes. So they started taking class with me. And that's when I said, I'm going to just start this summer company that focuses on health and we do some performances and that's it. And, um, it was going, you know, it went really well, the 2018 summer performance we did at the Dr. Phillips Walt Disney theater. It's a beautiful theater and it went really well, but from then on, uh, I, I started with a trainee program. It was actually my fiance who, you know, gave me that idea, and and it, it started going really well. And going back to your question too, um, I think being a freelance for so long, you know, it takes a lot of self discipline. And I've seen dancers who started freelancing around my time, and their level went like that. And I didn't want that to happen to me. So I learned from like what you were saying, meeting great coaches, great teachers that you learn and you have those kind of classes in your mind. So when you go to a guest and you make sure that you warm up correctly, you don't just sit and then get ready to do a show like a lot of people do. So I was so used to that teaching and and taking and and giving the corrections while I'm doing it, while I'm doing a combination, you know, and I'm saying all that stuff and corrections and and things like that. And I'm used to it because people are like, that's a lot. And, you know I mean eventually I don't know how long I'll be able to do it but i'm I'm healthy thank you know I thank yeah. God for that and you know I bless you know my father he he um he passed a couple months ago and he would always tell me you know like he doesn't he he used to say you know I don't know how you do that and maybe it's time to retire and then he saw my last video before he passed and he was like you know son I take that back you know you shouldn't retire yet <laughs> so we were laughing and joking about that but right it's just a juggle that I'm I, I guess I'm kind of used to I'm kind of a hyper guy and you know obviously there's moments when I felt it I was like I don't know if I can do this like I don't know I don't know like if I can juggle all of this stuff and and I feel moments in my mind like I'm gonna get injured like right. I've, I
0: it's gonna break down
1: I'm gonna break down but each time I say that, you know, I have the support for my family and, and my fiance, and and we find out a way to make even a more balanced schedule, not only for the dancers, but for me, for me too. And it's been working and I couldn't be more happy right now with what it's come down to right now for UBT and, and thankful to be in shape still, for sure.
0: <laughs> that first performance you had in August of 2018, so the debut performance for United Ballet Theater, would you say that was the most pressure you've ever felt? For a single performance
1: <laughs> you I you know what you're right, I think because everything went so fast, I was worrying about this and and the dancers and that and and lighting and what we're going to do that when I was on stage, I was just doing another show, but you know obviously pushing to the to the limit with what I could do because it's it's my baby, mm-hmm. but it did it went by so fast, but I remember Marcelo Gomez was with me, we shared our dressing room together, I brought him as a guest and a choreographer, and um I had Anna Sophia Scheller come. She's another principal. I think she's with Ukraine National Opera now. She did Stars and Stripes with me. And then in the dress, she elbowed me and I heard a crack (laughs) in my nose, bro. And I remember going, it was like, we didn't have a lot of time because I'm giving you the honest, I I paid, it was all my money. And we weren't even a a non-profit yet. So I spent a lot of money, a lot of guestings and I put it into the show. Right. So I had to rent the theater for one day and we did the dress and everything. And I remember being in the dressing room with Marcelo, and right before the show, I really, I thought like, I was like, Marcelo, do I have a concussion? Like I, <sighs> I was getting like lightheaded, right. but I think it was just a stress. And he's like, you're fine, man. I just had a little bump, right. um, but I wasn't bleeding or anything, but just like what you were saying, like all of this was going through my mind, but the show went really well. I was just so happy with the dancers. It was emotional.
0: No. And so I first heard of UBT, I feel like it was maybe even simultaneously, but it was right around the time that there was a company called American National Ballet that came up and it was this kind of utopian idea, you know, it was, they had all these really, really big plans and there was a school coming out and, and then the whole thing fell apart. It just disappeared. And a couple of weeks later, word of Joseph Gotti starting a company in the States. And it's like, oh, Okay, good luck, right? Yeah, Yeah, we just saw this, it didn't work. Yeah. What was it like for you watching that happen? Did you feel like, uh uh-oh, this is a bad sign?
1: Yeah, there wasn't a connection, to be honest. I mean, and I even, you know, I've known Rasta Thomas for a while, and I knew that he was, I think, going to be the director there. But I think I remember him saying that he never was truly asked or something. So I think there was just a huge miscommunication in terms of whoever the board was there at the time. So, you know, it's just business, I think. And and
0: did it make you nervous, though? Like seeing that thing start and fizzle so quickly, right? As you're saying, well, I'm going to do my own thing as well. Yeah. Did that give you second thoughts at all?
1: No, it didn't. Um, and I heard about it. I remember hearing about it and, and it was in South Carolina or
0: I think it was in South Carolina. I think it was yeah, in Richmond yeah. or something.
1: Yeah, but it didn't rattle me or anything like that. I think in my mind, I was just like, you know, that that's not going to happen to us. That's not going to happen to us. And to be honest, I'm really fortunate to have been a part of a company that started from the ground up. Yeah. Anjo Corella's company in Spain. And I, I was a dancer, but I did witness some of the behind the scenes stuff, you know, and having a small team or having, you know, the, the family involved too, which is not always the best, you know, and things like that. And um, seeing a company start from the ground up again, that's that's completely different than walking into an organization and saying, I'm the director. I'm not saying that's easy. I, it, it's all insane and tough work. But starting something from nothing is, is different. And I just went along with what I had and I continued to build on it and improve on mistake, trial and error. But thankfully, those errors haven't been horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, where it stopped me. I wanted to continue to grow in this. And and it's a fight and a passion you have and a belief in terms of everything that I experienced in my career that I wanted to do better for these dancers in the canon of dance and the world of dance. But yeah, it didn't bother me when I I saw that. Just more opportunity for us, I guess.
0: Sure, yeah. Yeah, one less company to compete with, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what their whole philosophy was. I mean, I, I don't know.
0: I'm glad to see yours is working out. Really, really glad you mentioned that when you freelance, keeping your level up is different. It's a different kind of undertaking than when you're in a company and you've got class built in, you've got coaches who watch you, you know, every day and I'm not calling myself an expert on Joseph Gotti's dancing, That you can, you're the expert, but what I've seen recently, like you're working on Nutcracker right now. And what I'm watching looks to me to be the cleanest and most polished I've ever seen you look. It looks that's to totally me like, thank you. because there's all different types of good dancing. You know, there's so, so many things that you would look at and go, oh, that's really impressive. You know, really yeah, huge splits tricks. and many pirouettes. Exactly. And sometimes you just look at quality and you go, oh, was, you know, it was simple. The step was simple, but the quality was beautiful. But I've had some really great coaching. And so I've been able to see what is the magic behind it? Like, what is the science, right? And I think what we're going for is, let's say you dance for a minute. And you do a hundred steps in a minute, right? Which is realistic, like a hundred different movements in a minute. Yeah. The goal is to make all of those as good as they can be, but you have to approach it sequentially, right? So if you can barely stand on your legs, well, that's the first goal. And you, and you build and you build, right? And what I've been seeing in you is what looks to me like all of the steps are done really well. And even the in-between things, like you're doing that sequence from the corner where you do, um, Plie fifth foite. So it's like a tour into Cisson, and you do it from the corner multiple times. Oh, the
1: Cisson, Entrenat, tour, yeah. And, Cisson,
0: and yeah. your arm that goes up, like your right arm is so well placed and it lifts you. Like usually people would think about the legs. Let's make sure the legs are splitting, but yeah. when you're doing it, your port de bras, like the legs are fantastic. That's the thing. The wow factor is all there. All of the pirouettes are perfectly placed and they open beautifully and everything is correct. But then it's the little things on the edges, you know, that are also all there. And the metaphor I think of is it's like if you're making a peanut butter sandwich. It looks like the peanut butter is all the way to the crust, you know, like all the way to the edges. You know, there's nothing missing. There's no dry piece. (laughs) I love your examples.
1: So good. I really appreciate it. That means that really means a lot, really, because I take that seriously, you know, and trying to always be better. And I think what you—it's great what you said. And and I think one of the reasons is I'm I'm always open to listen to whoever has something to tell me, whether it's good or bad. I have teachers that I've I've worked with um, from Dance Open when I won my awards in Dance Open who still write me and saying, hey, I don't know if I like that. Maybe you should right. do this. Thank you so much. Like it's not offensive to me to have somebody write and say, hey, you know, I don't I don't like that. Like maybe you should try this or do this as a teacher. And I'm always listening. So. I'm trying to keep my ears open and listen to whoever has anything to say. And anybody, any dancer in my company, I mean, they're afraid to tell me, but sometimes if like my fiance who would say, great. So I think that's important too, in terms of what you said. And I I greatly appreciate that really like that, that means a lot because I, I, like I said, I take it seriously and I wanna show, especially the, the people out there who've had injuries and the young ones that you can still be at a high level when you're in your thirties or forties, you know? So I I really appreciate that. It means a lot.
0: You've got people like Tom Brady, who's actually not that far from you in Florida and he's playing into his forties. He's playing really well.
1: His personal trainer follows me. So it's been an honor. There we go. Alex. He's fantastic and he'll always support. He'll be like, great work, Joey. And
0: he's great, man. I love that. Just keep drinking that kale juice. Keep cryo-chambering, getting good sleep. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's so true. It's so
0: true. What was the inspiration for the arm sleeves? Are you a big Allen Iverson fan? Because you're the only ballad dancer I know who's consistently rocking the arm sleeves.
1: Okay, so I'm going to be very honest with you. Just like you, I love sports. A part of it is because of that. I, I I like how it looks, you know, but there's a few reasons for that. One of the reasons is sometimes I'll wear them under my sleeves with costumes because when I do fast all the turns, all the blood rushes to my hands and I, it can create little blood vessel pops if I go too fast. So it's kind of stopped that a little bit when I wear the arm sleeves. And then the other thing is, this is funny because people would say, for example, Michael Jackson, why did he wear tape on his fingers? Well, one of the reasons which people still make fun of him today and they didn't really notice is that he actually had vitiligo. I have vitiligo. I it's It's a skin disorder. It's a skin disease, they say. And. If I go to the beach, you could see it much more. It's all over my body, you know, white splotches all over. So when, when it started spreading on me, I can't imagine how Michael felt. That's why he had the umbrella because you can get skin cancer easier. So you have to be very careful in the sun. So that's one of the reasons why he started wearing tape on his fingers because he wanted to cover it. So that's one of the reasons I've, to be honest, I've worn my arm sleeves because I wanted to cover my vitiligo. It's all over my arms. It spread when I started hitting my early 20s and it was very depressing, obviously, because I only had a little dot on my knee. But I'm obviously I'm used to it now. I'm more open, but I still wear those sleeves. And one of the reasons is because of that. So a couple of reasons why I wear those arm sleeves.
0: (laughs) A couple of very different reasons, too. Love of sports. Because it actually physically helps you when you're turning really fast. Exactly. And to cover something up that you wanted to keep to yourself for a while. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So <laughs> of speaking of Michael Jackson, are you the best ballet dancer, Michael Jackson impersonator there is? Like, is there anybody who's coming for the crown or do you just have it square? Because there's that video of you in the New York subway having a showdown oh with a Michael gosh, Jackson impersonator. That was so funny. And you're really good
1: that was on my birthday oh okay. man he told me he was like come on dance i don't think i mean he didn't know but if there is a ballet dancer who can i'm i'm ready i'm ready i'll have to train a little bit but um yeah i have been inspired by him so for so long um, just his performance quality you know being live and executing everything i mean you know there's nothing it's just can't be really emulated it's just the power you know of, of his passion and his training that he did so long. So I, I, I was always inspired by him, you know, but yeah, I think maybe, maybe I, I, I am, I don't know. I have to, <laughs> I don't know another ballet dancer who could, you know, I know a few who can have fun and do you, do you impersonate him?
0: <laughs> Nothing that should be uh, on film or anything, you know? Okay. So for now you have the belt, as it were, you're holding the belt. And if anybody wants to come for the belt, they have to come through you yes <laughs> do you see any similarities between yourself and tetsuya kumakawa because you both had star careers and you returned home to start your own company have you noticed that connection at all am i the first time is this the first time you've this is
1: the this is the first time to be honest and now i see it obviously like i, I completely forgot yeah he he went home to start his own company yeah. i don't know how he is in terms of a director personally or you know, how he treats his dancers, things like that. I don't know, it was important in terms of family. You know, that's one reason I came back obviously is I wanted to be closer to my family. My dad was in his eighties, still fighting cancer. So I wanted to be closer to him and my mom. And I always had this in the back of my mind of wanting to give something back to my community of where it gave me the opportunity to start my career. Cause Orlando was where I started my dancing.
0: I bet the two of you could have a really nice conversation over dinner talking about your different exploits because you're both phenomenal dancers who seem very unleashed on stage. And then you've both started companies and you are like the lead dancer, like the lead attraction of your company. Yeah. And there's a very, I think, unique sense of like a weight on your shoulders with that, right? The, 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 yeah. What you both carry. So if you're ever feeling another one of those moments of overwhelm, see if you can DM Tetsuya and get some advice because he might be one of the few people who really gets what you feel
1: yeah yeah I, I i that's that's so true that's that's actually a great uh connection to be honest what you said for sure yeah because again like what you said there's not many who are really like that i think david hallberg maybe i'm not sure if he's still dancing and directing but
0: yeah but you he. But i mean but the, the whole starting your own company thing is just so specific exactly like, there's not a lot of people it's who so, do
1: that exactly exactly so you're right you're right there's i think he is the only one and at the time, yeah, now, yeah.
0: So I heard through the grapevine that you have a method for taping your feet and it helps you turn. Do you want to yeah. tell people at home how to do that? Maybe help them figure out how to turn better?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it, it's possible that it could help with turns, but it's mainly for the look, to be honest with you. Because the only person that I've seen do something like that, and I've joked with him about it, is Simpkin. He does it for health reasons, and I also do mine for health reasons as well especially my bunion. But that's another type of tape. But the white tape that I use, I put the sticky part on the outside when I wrap my toes. So it gives a better grip in the shoe because I've noticed that every time when people have nice feet, they're pointing so hard on the inside and the outside, it doesn't form the look that it should form with all the work that you're doing with your toes. So actually the material grips on the toes when you have the sticky part on the outside. And it forms a better line for me. so again, when you're turning, yeah, it might not slide at all, so that can definitely help with um turning. And um, I even do that with full length tights. I'll have to cut my full length tights, put the tape on, then yeah. stick the full length tights back under my shoe. Yeah, but it works fine.
0: This is a peek under the hood for young dancers, but especially for people who don't dance. The different ways we do our toes and our tights in our shoes. hundred percent. Yeah. Last thing before we go. Tell us a little bit about working with Fernando Bojones. I personally think he is one of the most underrated stars of all time. If we were to have a ballet draft, you know, all-time ballet draft, he would be in my top three for sure. Uh, Yeah. I saw VHS of him win Varna at, I think he was like 18, and he was in the junior division, and he realized, oh, I'm way too good for this. I want to go in the senior division. And they were like, okay, but if you don't win anything, it's not our fault. And he was like, don't worry about it. And he ended up winning gold. (laughs) And every variation he did was perfect, like yeah, perfect. So, what was it like working with him?
1: Oh, it was it was it was inspiring. I mean, again, I I say that you know I've worked with so many different directors, and I say that he's one of my favorite, if not the favorite, in terms of pushing dancers and inspiring them. He had this confident personality, even in the studios. Like, I remember him doing soda basks, and not not in a mean way, but he would do it and say, "Come on, guys, I'm." A- I'm almost 50 years old. Come on. And you can do it too. Come on, let's do it. You know, like pushing us in a funny way because he was, he was almost 50 at the time when I was there and he was just busting El Soto Boss and tours like nothing with technique. And I remember him like just showing the ending of Giselle for us. He's like, I want it like this. He was telling one of the principals, and I was, you know, I was only 17. So I'm just watching him do the ending walk off with the flowers at the end and going to his knees and know and he would take care of me he was so nice and we would do outreach and he would be there in the outreach and you know and he would talk to me about sports he was a miami dolphins fan and i was a new york jets fan so he would tell me huh Jets didn't do good this week did they you know and he would like he had this funny list but he was just so and his wife was so sweet too i would feel very comfortable in front of him and if i did shows he'd be like if I did the turns, he'd be like, you're two for two, Joey. Hmm? Like always like an, a sports type of analogy, you know, it was really great. Because he could connect with me that way. And I, you know, it was only 17 and how human he was with, with the dancers. And that's one thing I really love and I feel was missed in most of the companies I was in, if not all, just a director who would just come up to you sometimes be like, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? You know, like just that, just those words can make you feel so much better before the day starts and you just you knew he loved what he he was doing and i think that was one thing that really inspired me and that stuck with me in my my life as a dancer was how he he treated his dancers and how he cared for them and i loved that about him yeah
0: thanks for those stories thanks for that side of him of course he wasn't happy though when i did the ygp
1: the first (laughs) it was my first competition and, and i remember winning it and throughout the process, he would hit me sometimes with smirky comments. And I'd just be like, ah, oh, he's not happy. Because, you know, he wanted me to stay.
0: Right, right, He didn't
1: want me to go to another company. But when he realized I was going back to school, because that's when I decided I got Boston Ballet too. I got San Francisco trainee, I believe, and Victor Yate from YGP. And I got the Royal Ballet School, full scholarship. And I picked that. And when he found out, he was like, Joey, that's a great decision. He thought I was going to go to another company, but I told yeah. him I'm going back to LA school. He's like, great, Joey. So he was all happy with me at the end.
0: <laughs> right. Wow. That's a really interesting yeah. decision to choose to go back to school. That's fantastic. I felt it was
1: the right thing. And, um, and I was so happy I did, you know, all those little, those little refined things that, that I didn't get when I was training beforehand, like partnering three times a week with tutus and conditioning class. That was the first time I had like a, a conditioning class in a ballet school. I was like, whoa. Mm. And then they had a class of uh, mental preparation and how to prepare properly if you come late before a show, how you can warm up properly without doing a full ballet class, like what other ways you can fire up certain muscles. And I always kept that with me. I thought that was important.
0: Really cool. Wow. Yeah. Well, people can find us (laughs) on Instagram and Facebook at Guys. Email us at 22Guyspod at gmail.com. And they can find you, UBT and UBTA, on Instagram and if they check the website. Yep. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for giving me your time and I hope you have a great uh, rest of your day.
1: It's great what you're doing. I hope these, especially these young ones, can actually listen to these. I think this is great. So, It really means a lot. Appreciate it.
0: Do you have a sense of belonging anywhere?
1: Dance. Just dance. Dance.